Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor Study. Do you know who said these famous words? A house divided against itself cannot stand. Most people think Abraham Lincoln said that during the Civil War, and he did, but he was quoting Jesus in Mark chapter 3. Today we're going to talk about division. Do you have division in your marriage, in your family, in your church, in your workplace? We sure have division now in our nation. We're going to learn now, division is not always from the devil. Jesus causes division. Would you take out your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 12, and let's learn about division. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we pray for all the divisions in our land today, divisions between nations and within nations and marriages. And Lord, people watching this program who have family divisions and it's hurting them, God, speak to us now about division and how we should handle it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 49. Jesus said, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Now the question is, what does that verse mean? That's a difficult verse. I looked at different Bible commentaries, kind of two opinions. Some scholars think Jesus is talking about judgment fire. Jesus did not come to destroy sinners, but to save sinners. But for sinners who continue in their sin and refuse to come to Christ, they will be judged. And it does say in 2 Peter chapter 3 that at the very end, the world will be destroyed by fire. So some scholars think he's talking about judgment fire. Other scholars think, well, no, fire does something else. Fire purifies. And when John the Baptist said, Jesus will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, maybe Jesus is talking about the coming of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit will come at Pentecost and purify believers. So is it judgment fire? Is it purifying fire of the Holy Spirit for believers? I'm not sure. Well, and, and look at another difficult verse, verse 50. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Well, what does that verse mean? Because Jesus has already been baptized when he says that verse. Well, we get some help from the Gospel of uh, Mark, where Jesus says to James and John, verse, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 38, Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? In, in that chapter, his baptism he's talking about is his death. So in verse 30, Jesus is basically saying, I've come here to die and I can't wait to get that over with. 
I learned some important lessons here from Luke chapter 12, verse 30, or excuse me, verse 50. Lesson number one, Jesus had a purpose in life. I have a baptism with which to be baptized. He knew why he was on the planet. And later he says the same thing in John chapter 12 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus knew why he was on the planet. So let me ask you, do you know what your purpose is in life? Do you know why God put you on the planet? Listen carefully to these verses, these verses and tell me why God put you on the planet. Here we go. Isaiah chapter 43. Everyone who is called by my name, says the Lord, I created for my glory. Matthew 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 10. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Okay, so Christian, what is your purpose in life? Why did God put you on this planet? The answer is to glorify God. 400 years ago, the Presbyterians wrote the Westminster Catechism. And for hundreds of years, little Presbyterian children memorized the Westminster Catechism, which says, quote, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So that's your purpose, and let me ask you this. How you doing? Are you glorifying God in your life, or do you let people or things swerve you from that goal? Some people had me over for dinner, and they said, Tom, are you happy? Are you happy with your world? <laughs> and I said, uh, I, I was kind of stumped. And, and finally I said, well, there are days I'm happy and there are days I'm not, and that's about what I can tell you. And the person who asked me the question said, well, I'm not happy with my life, and I know I need to put God first in my life. <sighs> Was Jesus happy? Well, I think he often rejoiced in God the Father. It says, you know, he, he rejoiced in God. But I don't think Jesus' purpose in life was to feel happy all the time. His purpose in life is in this verse. I have a baptism with which to be baptized. I'm here to die on the cross for, for the sins of the world. And, and he was willing to, to do his purpose whether it felt good or not. <laughs> so again, if somebody asked me, Tom, are you happy? I, my answer, I hope, is this. My main goal in life is not to be happy all the time. My main goal in life is to do the will of God. Sometimes that's hard. <laughs> but I will tell you this. When I bite the bullet and do the difficult will of God, that brings me joy. The Apostle Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. You can't always rejoice in your marriage or your health, or your children, or your finances, or your job. But Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. That's the one place you can always rejoice. So Jesus had a goal in life. Christian, are you accomplishing your goal of glorifying God? One more lesson before we leave this verse. 
Do you think Jesus ever felt stressed? Look what it says in this verse, how distressed I am until it is accomplished. The word distress can be translated constrained, seized, attacked, tormented, afflicted, oppressed. Here's the next lesson. Jesus knew stress. Sometimes we think, oh no, Jesus was God. He never got stressed about anything. Well, he was God. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he felt the stress of being a true man. Now, he never sinned, but he felt stress. And I would argue maybe he felt more stress than you and I will ever feel. I mean, can you imagine knowing you're going to slowly be crucified for the sins of the world, knowing that your whole life to have that to look forward to? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat blood he got under such stress. One scholar said this, the prospect of his sufferings was a perpetual Gethsemane to Christ. So my point is this, if you're going through stress right now, Jesus knows what you're going through. So I want to encourage you, if you're stressed out, do what I do when I get stressed. I like to get on my knees next to my bed, and I like to just kind of lift my hands to the Lord and give him my stress, and I talk it out with him. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So if you're stressed, get on your knees, talk it out to the Lord. Another good thing to do, there's a lot of distress psalms. So if you're distressed, find a psalm where David is just getting his stress out and read the psalm out loud when you're stressed. That'll help. Somebody said, well, I don't know how unbelievers do it. How do they cope without prayer? And I think the answer is they don't. <laughs> they get ulcers and they get nervous breakdowns and they get suicidal and they get drug addictions. And uh, Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's look at verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth, said Jesus? No, I tell you, but rather division. Here's the next lesson. Jesus causes division. Jesus isn't nice. <laughs> I live in Minnesota. We have something here called Minnesota Nice. We are known to be very polite and very nice in Minnesota. We're a very liberal state. We want everybody to feel good. And so we have, we pay for abortions with tax dollars in Minnesota because we're nice. <laughs> well, so I know somebody that was attending one of the very largest, I'm a Lutheran, one of the very largest Lutheran churches in the Twin Cities known for being right down the middle of the road. And I, and I said to her, are they a good church? Do they preach Christ crucified? Are they Christ-centered? Are they very biblical? And her response, well, it's a very nice church, and the pastors are real nice, and they never say anything in their sermons to offend anybody. And she said, I get nothing out of this church. <laughs> I recently attended a nice wedding. The presider was a United Church of Christ pastor, highly 
heretical man. He does not believe Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. He believes everybody goes to heaven, the devil and Hitler included. And you know what his sermon said? God is love. Let's love each other. Let's feel the energy of the love of the universe. I mean, you would not have dreamt you needed Christ to be saved from that sermon. And it was just nice, nice, nice. <laughs> I want to remind you, I've said this on this show before, a friend of mine went to a conference and the preacher got up and, and shared the three pillars of liberal theology. Pillar number one, God is nice. Pillar number two, we too should be nice. Pillar number three, isn't that nice? <laughs> I remember an old white-haired pastor saying years ago, we are nicing people right into hell. So, there was an older couple uh, that, were at, that attended my church that I served for 29 years, and they also attended that liberal Lutheran church, the big one that I just talked to you about. They didn't like my sermons, <laughs> so they didn't talk to me about it. They wrote a letter to my elders. Why can't Pastor Brock preach nice sermons like we hear at our other Lutheran church? And, and God bless the elders. They were very polite. They wrote back and said, well, we like Pastor Brock's sermons because he preaches right out of the Bible. <laughs> Let's talk about division. Again, if there's division in your church, is not necessarily from the devil, it can be from Christ. If you saw our show some weeks ago, we did a whole show on the division in the United Methodist Church. If you watch the show, we talk about the division in the Lutheran Church a lot, the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, the United Church of Christ, and what's demonic is this. All these denominations have the very same dividing lines. For instance, I'm going to pick on the Lutherans because I'm a Lutheran. There are Lutherans who believe that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative Word of God. And there are Lutherans who believe, well, we like the Bible, it's a nice book, it's inspiring, but it's got mistakes in it, and we are more enlightened today than the Bible is. There are Lutherans who believe Jesus is the only way of salvation. John 14, 6. And there are Lutherans who believe, the ELCA Lutherans just had their national convention. They were trying to pass this liberal statement that we don't know if Jesus is the only way. And so some delegate, God bless him, got up and quoted John 14, 6. What do you mean? Jesus said, I'm the only way. They voted him down 97%. That's the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. It's not evangelical, it's not Lutheran. There are Lutherans who believe that we worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are other Lutherans who believe that God talk that is male is sexist and oppressive. So instead of talking about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we talk about Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier. <laughs> there are Lutherans who believe in the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception all the way through till death. And there are Lutherans who, the ELCA Lutheran Church pays for abortion for any reason whatsoever with offering dollars in the pastor's health care plans. Oh. And again, I'll quote that old white-haired Lutheran pastor, we are nicing people right into hell. 
So my point is, there is division in the church today. You know the dividing line? It's scripture. Does your church preach the Bible? Or does it compromise the Bible to make people feel good? I, I think Jesus would rather have a church that preaches the word of God that is losing members than a big church that compromises the word of God and is growing. Give me the, the Bible church. So I knew somebody that lived in Florida, and she attended one of the largest Lutheran churches in Florida. And I said to her, well, what's that church like? And she said, well, it's a nice church. It's, it's a big church, and the pastors get in the pulpit and say, because we're a loving church, we're growing. But then this person said to me, but then I noticed they had homosexual couples going up for Holy Communion. And I, I went to the church office, and I said to the secretary, is there any policy against that here? And she said, no. In fact, two of our elders are living with their girlfriends. Now, it's a big church. It's a nice church. Is it a loving church? I don't think so. A loving church tells people the truth. I've had to tell couples, you can't take Holy Communion until you stop living together and repent of that. That's hard for me to do, but it's harder for me not to do it because I haven't done right by their souls. Jesus isn't always nice. He's always loving, but he's not always nice. And I'll share this again. C.S. Lewis said, do you want to know how to wreck a sophisticated dinner party? Wait till there's a lull in the conversation and bring up the name Jesus and watch people get nervous and change the subject. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus causes division. Last lesson is verse 52. Luke 12, verse 52. From now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Here's the last lesson. Jesus can split your family. Now normally I preach that Jesus can heal your family. I mean, divorce rate in America is very high, but they did a survey of Christian couples that pray together every day it's one in every 1,096. So Jesus can heal your family. But in this verse, Jesus says, and I can divide your family. So here's a dear Christian couple I know, and they get an invitation from their lesbian niece to come to her lesbian wedding. They kind of agonized over it. They prayed about it. They wrote her a letter. Uh, dear so-and-so, you know, we love you, we'll always love you, but we don't think this is what God wants for your life, so we don't feel right attending. Well, the father of the lesbian got irate, called, used foul language, and now they won't talk to this couple anymore. Jesus can do that to your family. Many years ago, there was a young man in India by the name of Sundar Singh. He converted to Christ and left the Sikh religion. His family was outraged. They argued. They, they threatened to kill him. One day his mother served him some soup and they got into an argument and Sundar Singh in, in a rage threw the soup out the window. He saw his dog come over, lap up the soup. Then he watched his dog fall over dead. 
He ran out of that house and never returned. That's what can happen in your family. Now, some of you watching this have division in your family because of your faith in Christ. And I know that's hard. I know that. But I, I want to just close by what Jesus said to Peter uh, in Mark chapter 10. Peter said, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, no one who has left house or father or mother or brother or sister or farms will not inherit a hundred times that much in this life, Christian brothers and sisters, and then he adds, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So if you're going through it, you've got a divided family because of your faith in Christ, hang in there. Jesus is worth it. You're going to get a hundred times more in this life and in the next life you'll get eternal life. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, what should a person do if they can't understand a Bible verse? Yeah, I just preached about that difficult verse where Jesus said, I have come to cast fire upon the earth and what exactly did that mean and so what I do is I have uh, various Bible commentaries and I'll look at the various scholars and what they think but you know you don't have to have a big scholarly library but every Christian needs at least a couple good commentaries in their house. Are you so, going to recommend? Yeah them? I would say the ESV study Bible is very good the Tyndale Bible Study series is also very good. So just, um, just every Christian needs to have that. Otherwise, you don't know what you're reading. <laughs> so get an ESV Study Bible, get some good commentaries, and you know, and some of the stuff, Jackie, like the verse I was just talking about. I don't know what that verse means. And even Paul the Apostle said, "Now I know in part. In heaven, I'll understand fully." So, we most of the Bible is pretty clear, but there are difficult spots. Okay. Yeah. So how can a person discover God's specific purpose for their life? Yeah. Um, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. So, Jackie, going way back in time, I go to college years ago, and I majored in filmmaking. And after a year and a half of it, I thought, I hate this. It was very technical and scientific. And I started, and I don't know that I had prayed very much, Lord, is that your will for my life? So I started praying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do for my, with, for, with my life? It took about two years, and it was, a, it was frustrating, but God finally came through. And it does say in James chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, ask God in faith, and he will show you. It doesn't say when he's going to show you. But so if somebody here is looking for guidance or wisdom, really, in prayer, seek the Lord. That's the first step. James chapter 1, ask of the Lord and he will give it to you. Okay. He just sometimes doesn't, he has to do it in his time in his and time. not in what you and it, like. It was a headache of a two years, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. You said that Jesus felt stress, but isn't stress or worry a sin? Well, it, some of this is defining terms. Okay. Uh, let's say that worry is a sin. Worry is when you just stew about things and you don't take it to God. Jesus never did that. He took all of his sorrows to the Lord. But Jackie, Jesus genuinely felt stress. He sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And 
You know, I, I will tell you, there was an ancient heresy in the early church called docetism. Docheo in Greek means to seem like. And these heretics taught Jesus looked like a man, he seemed like a man, but he wasn't really a man because God would never become human. And the early church said no to that. And the early church taught, as the scriptures teach, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus wept, he slept, he ate, and he, he, after he rose from the dead, he ate fish to show the disciples, I'm a man too. So because Jesus was a man, he also had human emotions. He felt the stress of being a man without sin. Well, since we were talking about people who worry, do you have any advice on how people can overcome worrying? Well, here, here's a thought or two. Uh, first of all, prayer, like we just said, is, is crucial. It's very good for me when I'm going through a stressful time to find a Christian friend and talk it out with him or her. So that if you're going through stress, Jackie, find somebody you can talk to and get a good sounding board. Also, I think we have a lot of stress because people don't observe the Sabbath anymore. Used to be people took one day a week off and wouldn't work, and they take that day to, to follow the Lord. Well, if you're working every day of the week, you're violating a principle that I think God has put into us that we need one day's rest a week. So I'd encourage you to make sure you're taking your Sabbath and, and go to church on your, whether, whether you keep, most people keep it a Sunday, some people Saturday, but whatever. Yeah. Okay, kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier, wouldn't it be more loving to attend a homosexual wedding than to stay away? All right, Jackie. I went to a church in Florida because I was visiting there. It's a good church, a biblical pastor. And the pastor got up and preached and he said, well, you know, if I was invited to a gay wedding, I would go because I'd want to show them that I love them. I went up afterwards. I was polite, but I said, I said, pastor, I am a pastor who struggles with same-sex attraction. I know this struggle. I wouldn't want you to come to my wedding because you're encouraging me to do something that's going to land me in hell. And I, I just urged him, you know, please tell your people we shouldn't be attending those things because we're hurting people. We're not showing love. We're hurting people. I have some more questions for you, but I think we're going to have to save them for next okay. time. Do you want to say... Well, yeah, I will, and then and then Jackie can close. But just everybody, we thank you for watching our show, praying for us. Go to pastorstudy.org. You'll see all of our TV shows there. You'll see my Facebook articles I write about current events in the church. But we, we do thank you for your prayers and, and your giving because you keep us on the air. And if the Lord nudges you, we like that. And say goodbye there, Jackie. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us this week at the Pastor Study. We pray that God's going to be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, 
or mail a check to the pastor's study. P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week. <laughs>